This podcast episode is brought to you by Coors Light. These days, everything is go, go, go. It's nonstop hustle all the time. Work, friends, family expect you to be on 24-7. Well, sometimes you just need to reach for a Coors Light because it's made to chill. Coors Light is cold lagered, cold filtered, and cold packaged. It's as crisp and refreshing as the Colorado Rockies. It is literally made to chill. Coors Light is the one I choose when I need to unwind. So when you want to hit reset, reach for the beer that's made to chill. Get Coors Light in the new look delivered straight to your door with Drizzly or Instacart. Celebrate responsibly. Coors Brewing Company, Golden, Colorado. Today's episode of the Chase to Must podcast is brought to you by our presenting sponsor, Panko Chicken. The new Atlanta restaurant thrives off of a unique spin on Japanese and Western cuisine and is already racking up the awards, winning Best Selling Taste in the Taste of Atlanta Awards both in 2017 and 2018. So if you're in the metro Atlanta area and are wanting to try something new and good and delicious, go to Panko Chicken today and tell them that I sent you over. You'll be glad you did, I promise. Panko Chicken, where eats meets West. Chase Thomas podcast. The Chase Thomas podcast. Um, my nephew needs me to record. See, I hate. I already hate it. I hate it. All right, welcome back to a Wednesday night edition of the Chase Thomas podcast. It's Thanksgiving Eve, and I could think of no one better to give thanks to the Warriors and what they bring to NBA content on a daily basis than Andy Lou of Warriors World and the Light Years podcast. Andy, good evening. How are you? Good. Good, man. Thanks for having me on. It's been uh, it's been a while. It has good been. Good to talk to you again. Yeah, I mean, this is a good time. Like, finally, the Warriors are doing some stuff that uh, is interesting. It's um, I, I appreciate them being behind the Memphis Grizzlies uh, late November. Um, I really do appreciate them giving the grit and grind the uh, the rub here heading into a, a thankful time of year because I know you're very thankful for um, Steph Curry, but I'm very thankful for the Warriors allowing grit and grind to return and uh, to get people to buy back into the Mike Conley, uh, Marcus All Grizzlies era. <laughs> you know what I'm thankful for? I'm thankful for some drama, you know, some mm. interest, something exciting from the Warriors. You know, last year, to be honest, last year was pretty boring, kind of just, and it was just even. It, there was zero entertainment. Like if you're beating teams by like, like in 2015, 2016, at least they were beating teams by 20. It was fun to watch 2016, 2017. It was fun. Cause it was KD. It's his first season last year. It was, I mean, it was pretty miserable to watch and they were, they were pretty miserable playing basketball. So um, this season, even though they're not happy with each other, at least it's exciting to see, you know, what's actually uh, going on off the court. Although, although they're pretty hard to watch on the court right now, anyway. Yeah, so about them being on the court, Steph has been out. Um, he's played in only 12 games, and I have a lot of Steph thoughts, and I, I'm going to go ahead and assume you have a lot of Steph Curry thoughts right now. I know um, it must really bother you watching this team without him. Um, it bothers me watching this team without him because it's not as enjoyable. Um, I do feel kind of bad for Patrick McCaw just kind of floating on the in the edges there, and we have it's just no one cares. It's just one of the saddest free agencies of all time. <laughs> just being I like the the Warriors just are like ah, we're good. We got Drebko. We got uh, a couple other guys. We're not really concerned. Um, that's not yeah. Really, yeah. I just feel bad for him. That that's a tough one because. As far as I know, and I, I talked to a few people, including I mean Marcus, just, he, he was telling us like 
Marcus Thompson, who writes for the, for the Warriors, he, he kind of just said, you know, part of this is not McCall's fault and not the Warriors' fault. I, I think there's something kind of going on personally for him. Um, and, and that's actually the reason why the Warriors haven't kind of uh, released him from that restrictive free agency right now. So I, I think there's something going on that we don't know. Um, mm. and, and, you know, those type of things that you don't want to speculate. But I think the Warriors are kind of standing by him. Um, and they're saying, hey, like, when you're ready to come back, come back. Um, and so that makes me think that it was less so about, you know, the play and the money and stuff like that. So, um, But it's good to hear that he's kind of at least been back in contact with the Warriors, um, at least for now. So it's maybe there's a chance that he gets here um, this season, So, which, which is great to hear. Well, I don't want him on the Warriors. I want him on the Houston Rockets. <laughs> <laughs> I want this they, to get they, uglier the where, like, need him. Yeah, they really could use someone like Patrick McCaw, and he's just sitting there, and I've just been thinking about that the last couple weeks of like, you know what would be great? Daryl Morey just saying, screw this. I'm just going to get Patrick McCaw from, uh, uh, what should we call this? Restricted free agent hell? Like, I don't even know what to yeah. call this, but uh, yeah, just yeah. go save him. Carmelo's gone. Patrick McCaw's in. Yeah, that'd be someone that they need, although the, look, the Rockets look much better than the Warriors do now. That's kind of yeah. one of those things where this early season... I mean, it was only like a week and a half ago that, that the Warriors were kind of like, hey, this is about to be the greatest season ever. This is going to be MVP, KD, MVP Steph, you know, all these things that, you know, the joy is back and all this stuff. And, uh, you know, not more than a week later, we've got kind of the most dramatic, you know, happening in the NBA for the in the last, you know, I'd say maybe half decade. So um, yeah. pretty fascinating stuff. Well, I don't know if it's more fascinating than the Washington Wizards doing whatever they are <laughs> doing in uh, DC because it never stops. And I hope that team never gets broken up. Like there is a column to be written about just keeping this team together and just say, screw it and just double down on what they've got. Just keep adding guys and keep adding uh, different uh, personalities into that locker room and just continue to see what works and make it as highly combustible as humanly possible. I think that's what I'm here for. So I hope the uh, the, the wizards keep doing what they're doing. I, I really appreciate them, but um, I have to ask you, where are you at with Kevin Durant? We've danced around this a little bit, but what do you make of this saga at this present time? We're recording this on November 21st, late on a Wednesday. What is going on yeah. with Kevin Durant for you right now? I, I think Kevin Durant knows as much as what's going on in terms of the future as I do. I think he has no idea, right? That that's the end question. The end question is like, Hey, what's KD going to do? I, I truly think, and I think he, he thinks this too, is that he has truly, he has truly no idea uh, what's going to happen. I do think um, the end game for him and the warriors is that they're going to have to move Draymond. Um, I oh, think for wow. Kevin. Yeah. I, I think for someone like Kevin Durant, who cares, everybody cares, but he cares to maybe a, an unhealthy level mm-hmm. um, about what other people think and what other people say. I think he understands that the Warriors don't use KD at 100%. They only need KD at about 70% to be the best team, maybe of all time, which is a ridiculous thing. And that comes off as hey, why are you even there, right? And right. All the obvious kind of criticism of him. And I think that the end game is that Draymond, he, re- he can replace, you know, all of Draymond Green's offense and more. He can replace probably 70% of Draymond's defense. 
And I think for him and the Warriors, I think they'll take that because at least you'll get Kevin Durant's long-term um, commitment to the team. I was going to say, the and only way you do him, that is if Durant, yeah. unless Katie's like, I'll be here for three to four more years. Like you can't, because like, Draymond will that, be there, it seems no. like, until Steph is ready to move on or this whole thing blows up. Like that's, because isn't Steph and Draymond, aren't they like the, the tightest of um, the four stars? Yeah. Yeah, they are the tightest. And uh, I, I think, I think uh, uh, Steph might be the only person left in, in Draymond's kind of side here. He's kind of the only person that likes Draymond. Um, mm-hmm. Everybody likes him on the court, but it, it's a different relationship, especially for someone that's kind of in your ear all day long, right? I think Steph is the only guy that kind of vouches for him through and through. Um, I think at this point, management and some of the players are kind of like, hey, like, you do need to calm down. I know you um, you kind of don't like what KD's doing. A lot of people on the team may not like what KD's doing, but we got to understand that at the end of the day, it's a business. And KD's kind of doing something that he should be able to do. And, and I guess Draymond's taking it a little bit personally, but you spin that the other way. And, you know, what Draymond said, it's almost like KD, like, did you expect, like, you know, Dre, like mm-hmm. y'all are, you know, y'all are close you didn't expect him to say anything less. So that's kind of one of the things where um, he's taking it pretty personally too. And um, yeah, I, I don't, I, I think I, they just don't want to play Draymond anyway, right? Mm-hmm. They don't want to pay him. They're not going to give him a big contract when that time comes. I don't know if any team will pay him a big contract when that time comes. And that kind of leads to Draymond saying, I see the writing on the wall. Nobody really values me here as much as I want to. And so that frustration kind of boils over. Huh? I hadn't even really considered the fact that Draymond might be the odd man out here. I, I didn't ever really believe the Clay stuff. And then, like, that was always the interesting thing to me about Draymond being upset with Kevin Durant is that, like, you got Clay to just basically say that, like, I'm happy I'm not going anywhere. The Lakers stuff, like, none of that is real. And I'm cool with everything. And, like, that's a big one to me is, like, he would be a, a, a more difficult person to replace for this team than Kevin Durant. And I, like, cause we know what this team looks like without Kevin Durant and like a league average wing and Harrison Barnes. We know how good they can still be at that point. And Steph will still be in his early thirties and their timelines still all match up and all that kind of stuff. But like if they lost clay, it'd be a to- We have no idea what that would look like with KD, um, Steph and Draymond. Like it would, I'm I, like obviously still be a very good team, but like I don't know what that would look like. I mean, obviously not as good uh, three point shooting wise, even though Clay is struggling um, from deep to start this year. But um, Katie's also not shooting very well. It turns out not having Steph around uh, hurts the whole offense. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Tom Haberstroh came out with a pretty neat piece today, kind of saying um, every every time the Warriors lose an All Star. Um, Steph's numbers stay the same. Like he's still a plus fourteen, plus fifteen, even when he's playing with no all stars around him, right? Mm-hmm. No, no Draymond, no Clay, no KD. But when Steph is gone, everybody's plus minus drops on the team. And part of it is, hey, Steph is you'll, you'll never see a greater offensive player than him yeah. in, ever, right? Uh, at least of right now. And, and the other piece is, well, this team is specifically built out for him. They mm-hmm. they got wings, they got all these players to complement Steph, and. If not for Steph, the team would be built differently, right? Like KD, like if this team was built around KD, you'd have a bunch of shooters and a bunch of wing defenders. That way, you can run a LeBron-style offense, right? Like it wouldn't mm-hmm. be like the way it is now. So um, that that's an argument as well. But I, I do think, at the end of the day, all the Warriors organization do, cares about is having Steph and having KD. I think, though, obviously, okay with losing Dre, they don't want to lose Clay. 
Um, but I think that they understand if you have Steph and if you have Kevin Durant, it really doesn't matter who else you have. You're probably a contender for the next five years. Um, yeah. And I think I'd agree with that notion. Hmm. That's interesting. Um, what do you make of KD's like shooting a little bit uh, below his career averages right now? What are you seeing? I mean, he's taking a lot of twos. He's not a he's yeah, so, taking a lot yeah. of twos, which is kind of like what you would expect, especially with Steph out. Is he kind of goes back to old habits and like he's forced to kind of go into the player he was in OKC a little bit more. Is that is that all it is? And he'll just kind of branch I, out, or what? What are you seeing? No, that's that's a great observation. I think uh, I think this observation is kind of noted amongst just like diehard Warrior fans and like Warrior fans that kind of watch every game, right? I think most people don't really realize this too, but that's a great point because the Warriors, known as kind of the three point shooting team, actually lead the league in mid lead the league in mid range shots with the Spurs, something mm-hmm. like that. And it's one of those things where I think um, it's it's on Steve Kerr, like his ego, kind of says like, "Hey, I'm light years, right?" Uh, you guys want to shoot a bunch of threes. I'm going to go the other way. I'm going <laughs> to zag. I'm going to start shooting mid-range shots. And while that works, if you have Steph Curry on the court, then right. it's like, okay, let's get open shots. At the end of the day, Steph is going to shoot like eight to nine, ten threes, eight to ten threes a game. He's going to make like five of them. So like, we're still going to get our like ten threes a game. We'll be fine because we just are going to out-talent teams. That offense, that archaic like Indiana Pacers <laughs> of like, you know, whatever, six, seven well, years hey, ago. They're winning or even like the back to number three in the East. I think they're like 11 and six <laughs> as of right now. They won't die. Nate McMillan bringing it back. They, I love them. I yeah. love that team. I, they're fun. They need another, they need another player. Um, maybe they can go get BO or something, but they're fun. Uh, and, and, but you can't run that mid range offense when Steph is off the court. And that's yeah. kind of what people say. Like Steph is the system and you've got to realize that and Steve Kerr's got to realize that you can't run the same offense when you don't have the guy that makes your offense the greatest offense of all time. Um, and, and, and that's ego. Like he yeah. knows that, but he or he's just the like, biggest he, Quinn it, cook fan of all time. And, uh, <laughs> <laughs> that that, that's, it, and yeah. that's my, that's my thing. Like I, my thing is they, they undervalue who Steph is. They kind of mm-hmm. overvalue who KD is, but I mean, Hey, like it's going to work as long as Steph is back on the court. And the longer he sits out, I mean, shit, these guys are even, argue with each other on the court when Steph isn't there. So it's kind of one of the things that the longer, the longer Steph's out, the better he looks. And uh, he personally doesn't care about that. Um, but there's right. gotta be a small piece of him. That's kind of like, you know, he's got, he caught quite a bit of flack. I think since he's won that unanimous MVP. And I think mm-hmm. it, it, part of him is probably happy that he's getting some, some good credit here. Oh, um, for what I he's mean, done. Oh, Andy, you're going to like this. I might as well just go ahead and make this pitch right now So while we're on this topic because this is something I've been thinking about uh, this season, especially with him being out and watching the Warriors without him. Um, we should go ahead and preface this, that Steph is probably never winning another MVP. Like, no matter what, nothing Steph can do outside of averaging, like, 45 a game at some point where he just, like, starts jacking 17 threes a game and gets to 45 a game. Like, that's really the only path as if, like, everybody leaves him and he's by himself and he, like, wills the Warriors at age 34 um, to, like, a five (laughs) seed with no talent around him anymore. Maybe that's what gets him into the conversation again. But, like, he is... It's just not going to happen, especially after winning unanimous. However, I think there is a case to be made that Steph... (laughs) is having an MVP-like season. Obviously, he's missing a lot of games early on, so that's going to be a problem. But him missing games, like we just talked about, 
it's exposing a lot of the Warriors' issues when he's not in the court, how valuable he really is to the best team in the NBA. Um, he's averaging career highs in points. He's at, he Before he went down, 30 points a game, five, 35 and 6. He's shooting almost 50% from deep, 49.2. Like, it's pretty good. Um, his career number, I think, is like 43. So he's up there. Uh, his highest usage rate of his career, 32. So he's right up there. He's having to do everything for this team. It's not like um, when he's on the court that he's able to just coast and things are fine and just let KD do stuff because it feels like the narrative has been KD is the most valuable player on the Warriors the last two years, right? We're like, oh, now that KD is there, it's clear that he is the most valuable player. But then again, you watch them and you're like, well, no, Steph is still the most valuable player to this Warriors team. And if they had one guy missed the whole playoffs um, and still survive, like, Steph is the one that you can't lose you could I mean Katie's obviously number two but I think Steph is still number one like I don't think they could get through it and win the title with just Katie Clay and Draymond however um I I just I think there is a case to be made Andy and I'm sorry for bringing this out and um just talking about this this early in the season especially because you can't watch Steph right now but I think there's a case to be made Steph um if he can get healthy is on his way to an MVP worthy season. I mean, listen, you're talking to the you're talking to the right guy. <laughs> I, I I agree, and and that's kind of those are all great points, and I, I agree with the the one that essentially says they can't they can't lose them, right? They can't lose them for any extended period of time, and that's what this franchise is built around. And and you say another thing as well is, I think the organization sometimes loses track of the fact that Steph is the one that created all of this, right? Not Joe Lacob, not Bob Myers, not Steve Kerr, right? All of this is because of Steph Curry. And I think they forget that because, you know, every, everybody loves to take credit. You know, that, that's, yeah. that's everybody's favorite thing. And, and when you start to win a lot, people tend to forget how you got there. And so, um, that that's it. This is a good reality check. I personally love it because I think they've they've tried to take way too much credit, and like their scouting's great or their you know coaching scheme's great, all this stuff. And and my basis has always been, dude, like you can be as great as you want, scouting low G League players like Alfonso McKinney or these offense hey, like little Mister you know. Forty Percent from Three, <laughs> a very made up right, name all these, that is a good player. Yeah, that uh, cannot <laughs> believe he exists. Yeah. guy too. Then like. I mean, sorry. I mean, like a guy that played in Luxembourg in the second league, and like all these, like all these things that are really cute, right? None of that matters if you don't have Steph. And I think like they forget that, and so I enjoy, and that's kind of what makes me similar to like Kobe or LeBron stands, right? Mm. Those stands are looking at the player and like we're gonna take the player over the over the franchise always. And I've got no problem saying like, you know, end of the day, the Warriors are great, but if they like don't see the value or respect who Steph Curry is, they don't deserve, you know, whatever they get. And so uh, that's kind of what's happened here. And, and a little bit, because I do think they value KD more, but I also think they do that because they know who KD is and he does care about those things. Um, the other piece of it is too, is that um, it sucks for Kevin Durant in this situation because he just cares so much about what, you know, like people like me and you say, and we don't matter but he cares about those things. And that, that really hurts. Um, that really hurts the, uh, how, how he can, 
you know, how he can ever make decisions because yeah. if he truly makes a decision to leave Golden State because he feels like, you know, guys on Twitter or Instagram don't necessarily respect him, that's that's never be- never before seen, right? Yeah. Because it's, it's a social media age and what would have happened if Scottie Pippen was mm-hmm. in this, you know, age? What would have happened if, you know, well, Kobe Shaq kind of happened, but mm-hmm. like, it would have been tenfold, twentyfold, yeah. right? I'm sure there were other superstars that were sensitive, and so, um, yeah, no, it, it's tough to see. And uh, at the end of the day, I do hope Katie's happy, and it doesn't seem like he's happy um, right yeah. now. Um, I like it's amazing because I did not expect us to go on the Draymond being the odd man out role, and to bring it back a little <laughs> bit, like because the conversation has been basically, would you, what would you trade Kevin Durant for the, over the last week and a half? And I just think all of that is a little ludicrous. Like I'm not trading the second best player in the league under any circumstances, unless he like goes to Bob Myers and, and does a Jimmy Butler thing. Like that's the only way I'm moving him is if he goes full Jimmy Butler, but I don't think that's in play. Um, mm-hmm. I, I just wonder like, what is Draymond's trade value? And you're going to love this. The Boston Celtics, a team very much underachieving right now, who has too many cooks in the kitchen. They don't know how to get this offense um, where it needs to be because right now the Warriors are number one in offensive rating and 18th in defense. So Ron Adams has not slept much over the last couple weeks, I would guess. And the Celtics are the inverse there, where their offense is not working, but their defense is still elite. Are you ready for this, Andy? <laughs> Gordon Hayward for Draymond Green. Let's switch it oh, up. Oh, boy. Yes. Let's switch it up. I was going to go KD because he did. Uh, you know, he flirted with Boston when he was a free agent, and uh, he liked his time um, with Danny Ainge and Brad Stevens and everything else. Like, that was in play. But uh, Horford, like, was a big part of that, and that was always a weird thing that, like, Kevin Durant really wanted to play with Al Horford. That always struck me as a little right. strange. Like, it's it's not Pau Gasol you're trying to team up with or anything like that. Like, shout out to Al Horford. Great player. But just a little weird that you're, like, trying to hit your wagon to him. Um, yeah, so what do you think? Gordon Hayward, odd I, man out in Boston. Put him in Golden State. So I uh, so I think uh, the K- the KD thing is always a joke, right? They, they're never – KD can't. It, it's kind of – KD can veto any deal, and they're never going to trade KD right. ever. It doesn't matter if KD says he's leaving. They're going to say no. We're going to try to convince you anyway. So yeah, um, that that's one thing. The the other, um, I like the idea. I as biased as I am, um, I I think that there'd have to be more given on the Boston side, mm. um, because if this was healthy, Gordon Hayward, I I do that. Tr- I think hard about that trade. I don't know if I do it, um, but with Draymond being relatively healthy, he's not really healthy, but like as healthy as you can be, um, he's the best defensive player in the league. Um, and he can turn that up in the playoffs when it matters. And he can't shoot and, and all of that, but um, he's still the best defensive player in the league when he's, when he's locked in. And he can still lock in, right? He doesn't, he's not coming off a broken leg. With Gordon Hayward, even at his peak, and what is he, like 50% of that right now? Yeah. Um, I, I don't see him as a player that matters that much in a playoff series. Mm-hmm. And I, I think for the Warriors, um, it, it's, Draymond made a great point fittingly um they're worried about 16 game players they want players that can play in the playoffs and i don't really care for gordon hayward as a playoff player i think he's a good player but i don't see him being able to do much honestly um in the postseason and so uh, if you were to throw in like a jalen brown i know jason tatum is going to be off out of bounds but if you throw Boston in like Celtics a jalen brown had a seizure 
You Jalen Brown right. and so, Gordon Hayward tra- for Draymond Green. <laughs> that that's gonna be you know that's but that's that's only because Gordon Hayward is not who he is and right yeah. this, that becomes unrealistic because he's I mean he's essentially untradeable right now with that contract and and the um, and the so fact I that he can't he play is basketball because like look at how like so many teams are just starred for star town like I just think so many teams would gamble on just like oh we bring him in he's like Miami right now if Boston was like. Josh Richardson for Gordon Hayward. You get your your kind of oh, star Josh for your Richardson pseudo star. Monster. Yeah, like yeah. he is, and I love Josh Richardson. But I think Pat Riley would be like, "All right, piece one. We got Gordon Hayward. We got what we wanted a couple of years ago. Like now we can do that." Um, I don't know. I just feel like there's a lot of teams in the league right now. Like at least a third are so I... um, starved for real talent. Like the Orlando Magic, you could offer them anything resembling a star, I, and the I think Magic... they would move. Yeah. Magic would be good. I like that, though they probably wouldn't give up Aaron, uh, Aaron Gordon. Um, I, I don't I'd know. Look at the, the Wizards. I like that, though, right? Aaron Gordon, he's under contract yeah. for four more years. Like, in, oh my God. Aaron Gordon in place of Draymond. I think that's the key. I think we've <laughs> just solved everything. Send Draymond to Orlando. <laughs> and, and, I mean, I love Aaron, I love Aaron Gordon. And, and that's, yeah, that'd be a great fit. I mean, I, I think it'd have to be kind of a wing player and, and he has to be someone that is kind of content to stand in the corner, you know, like the Wizards probably wouldn't do Beal and, and Otto, but like it'd be, you know, a package probably centered around Otto and I don't know, maybe some picks or maybe a third team in there somewhere. So I, I think if they trade him, it'd definitely be for a, a, a bunch of three and D guys. Mm-hmm. Um, unless they can get like a car Anthony Towns, which, you know, I, I highly doubt that would be possible or say they package Draymond together with Clay and get Anthony Davis. But I mean, or I not <laughs> even Clay, just Draymond for Anthony Davis straight up. No, just <laughs> let's do that. Let's just get weird. He gets to reunite with Boogie in the playoffs. That's what we can do. New Orleans. I mean, Alfred Payton's now out for a while. Let's just send Anthony Davis to uh, Golden State for the rest. Believe of the me, if that offer is on the table, if the Pelicans offered that, the Warriors would do it. Last night. Wait, do you think they do it for Clay plus Draymond? Yes. Oh my God. I mean, oh, yeah. like if you're oh, locked in not, with Steph and Anthony, uh, like it doesn't matter. It oh, yeah. really, yeah. That's. Oh yeah. But you can put me and you there, and and, yeah. the, and they'll be fine. I think New Orleans. Oh, they do that in a second. And if uh, if Del Demp said no to that, oh my God. Like if you can turn <sighs> Anthony Davis at this point with the kind of roster construction they have around him into Draymond plus Clay, I mean, I'd feel bad for those two having to go to new orleans and uh just be in like i don't even they'd be like nine tenth range so hell for that, the next three yeah. four years which would be really fucked up but you know if no one says no to like i think even they would understand hey it's anthony davis steph curry and kevin durant in the same team whatever well, they, i get it here, here, because here's here's the thing they and the people it's kind of dependent on what the pelicans want to do with this but those two players are more talented than any the the celtics can offer I don't, I don't care for Jason Tatum, but I don't see him as a future superstar. He's a solid player to me. Um, he, maybe he'll be an all-star. I don't see him as a superstar. And you already have two superstars with Draymond, who's a great defender, and Clay is, you know, like the second or third best shooter of all time. If you can get those two guys in a pick, right, and and you're the Pelicans, and you kind of know that Anthony Davis is out the door, mm-hmm. how could you say no? Yeah. What's gonna what what other offer can compel you otherwise unless Boston gives you like an unprotected, you know, Brooklyn first or whatever, uh, unprotected Kings first or something, right? Mm-hmm. Um, you can't beat that package. And right. I, <laughs> I'm kind of speculating here, but that is, trust me, the Warriors have thought of that and the Warriors would do that in a second. 
Oh my God. You heard it here first, folks. Andy Lou <laughs> predicting that Anthony Davis will be a Golden State Warrior for Clay Thompson and Draymond Green. That is confirmed on this podcast. So I appreciate you going out on the limb there, Andy. And uh, that was uh, that was good. Um, this is a really Always in the fun. weeds Golden State stuff, but I have to ask you. Look, this is the weirdest part of the Warriors to me, but it's something that I know for certain warm Steve Kerr's heart. Um, Damian Jones and uh, Kevon Looney, both the numbers liking both of them. Like for whatever reason, the team like does well, like especially offensively when they're on the court. Like I don't understand how their uh, offensive rating is like one thirty two with Kevon Looney on the floor. Uh, but both of those guys, they shoot within four feet of the rim at all times. They're just like the kind of guys that you just you just know Steve Kerr loves his Zazas and his uh, Anderson Verjals, his uh, Festus Azilis. He loves these guys, and uh, I don't understand how they're still just. The numbers love them this year. Is there anything I'm missing? Why are they like? Why is this working with those two on the floor? I on the floor at the same time or no, 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 no. Just like when they're on the floor, it just the they do well. Is it just because yeah. they the starters for a little bit, or I, I don't know. Yeah, I, I think as long as the uh, as long as the starters are there, um, you can kind of slot anyone in and they'll be fine. Although I will say, I'm not a Damian Jones fan. I actually think he's pretty bad. Um, I think there's some potential there. I think there, as all organizations do, I think there's their willingness to, uh, to kind of make themselves look good is to keep mm-hmm. playing that first rounder. And they've kind of like coached them up in the G league and kind of yeah. brought them to where he is today. So they're, they're invested in making him look good, meaning that to make themselves look good. Mm-hmm. Um, so I think they'll play him. I don't think he's good at basketball. I think he's completely unplayable <laughs> once the playoffs come. Mm-hmm. Um, Kevon Looney is a little bit different. He's actually, we, he's good. Like he's legit a good basketball player. He'll probably never become more than that, but uh, that's the late first round pick to get a legit. Who, like we didn't rotation. know if he was going to play, right? Wasn't it like yeah. the thing when he first came in league? Like that's yep. why he slipped so far is just because hip, there was serious injury. health stuff. Yep. Yeah. He was like Harry Giles before and, Harry Giles a little bit. <laughs> yeah. And, and I mean, hips to me are even scarier than knees. Right. And yeah. so that's, um, it, that's, that's a great, and he's just, re- he's just a really smart player. Um, he knows what to do and what not to do. He knows where to be. Um, and, and that if you're on the Warriors and you can kind of do that, you're going to be able to play. Um, I, I probably wish he could shoot the ball uh, mm-hmm. from mid-range a little bit better. Um, and maybe he'll get there. But um, he's Kerr's someone that's going to get there. If that's his lasting oh, yeah. Warriors legacy, mid-range. it's Kevon Looney, mid-range assassin. <laughs> so he's... Uh, He's got a good player. He'll always play playoff games. They had him guard James Harden for a long period of time. The, the interesting part here, though, is the one that you're not saying is Jordan Bell. Yeah, and he's who's someone kind of that falling out, is, right? Like, he's, what, ninth or 10th in minutes yep. on the team? Like, he's just become an afterthought. Yeah, yeah. So he's – and I strongly disagree with how Kerr is dealing with it. Is yeah. He's kind of making Jordan Bell earn the minutes and – I don't. I don't go. To I feel practice. like it's a fuck you, know, you to the people who've practice. been calling for him to start at the five for like the last year and a half. He's so fed up with it that he's just taking it out on him. Oh yeah, and Jordan Bell's a way better player than Damian Jones. He's not even close. Yeah, like Jordan Bell has more potential. He has more feel. He has. He has. There is nothing he does worse than Damian Jones outside of he wasn't drafted as a first round pick. Like he was. He was just the second round guy, and like they can lose him in restricted free agency, right? You, they've got the rights to Damian Jones for another year or two. They just picked up his option, and so uh, part of it for me, honestly, is I feel like they're just, hey, we got Damian Jones. Bell may be better, 
but we can keep Damian Jones. We want to give him those reps because he's going to be here next year for sure. I, I just, I, for me, I, like, I don't care about that. Play the better player. And Jordan Bell has shown that he was the one that was playing against Houston mm-hmm. in a Western Conference Finals matchup when everything was on the line. It's not like he was playing crunch time minutes, but he was playing out there. And if Damian Jones played those minutes, I would lose my mind, right? Yeah. That's like Anderson Barajal in a game seven against the Cavs, <laughs> right? And Kerr is prone to doing dumb stuff like that. And I mean, end of the day, it probably doesn't matter as long as, as you know, I will say, Steph is on the court. Right. But those are the small things with Steve Kerr where you kind of question, like, where's he coming from? But mm-hmm. I, I think mean, that's just trying like to have fun, man. When you have four just future <laughs> Hall of Famers on your team and you're going through these yeah. ups and downs, like, and he's been there as long as he has, and he's just trying to experiment and have some fun. He's like, can I wear an, a title with Damian Jones playing like th- like 600 regular season minutes? Why not? Let's see what happens. Let's uh, let's get weird. Probably will too. Yeah. Um, all right, man. Well, last thing, and then we'll go. Um, right now, who is the biggest threat to beating the Warriors for the 2019 NBA Finals? Oh, God. The answer is the Raptors, by the way. Yeah, I, I, in my head, I was thinking of, I was thinking of the Raptors or uh, Giannis or, or Milwaukee, but I think Milwaukee's missing a, a star. Yeah, I was going to say, I, just, I love Milwaukee, but I think they're a team that's going to... Too much is going to be asked if they don't have enough. come playoff time. They just, I love yeah. Middleton, but I, I don't think they have enough juice. They have the coach now. Yeah, they They don't. just need one other guy. They do. Yeah, and Giannis can't shoot. That's a no, problem as well. Um, so I'll give two answers because out west I like the Pelicans a lot. Oh God! Um, I think that I love the Pelicans. I know they're losing right now. They're kind of getting smacked by yeah. the Sixers. But I don't even think they make the playoffs. I <laughs> I love them. I don't know what it is. Maybe I just love Gentry, and I wish that he was coaching the Warriors instead. Um, well, that but might I be next them. year. <laughs> <laughs> I I just think that. They just need to make the playoffs. If they just make the playoffs and they don't play the Warriors, they can make the Western Conference Finals. And they, I just think they're, Western I think Conference they're really Finals? good. I wow. think they're really good. And I think they could give the Warriors like six games. Okay. Um, which is, I mean, Houston's probably better than that. But I, I just really like the Pelicans. I, I just had to throw them out there. The answer is the Raptors. You're right. It, it's the Raptors. I just... I, just I think don't it's the Raptors trust in the, the Raptors. East and the Nuggets in the West. I'm not selling my Nuggets okay. stock. No. I'm not doing it. I'd sell them because that defense I don't think is sustainable. And I but don't, see, I'm they not really don't worried about that. I think in a Western Conference, kind of like what Houston did last year, where if Gary Harris and Jamal Murray and they just add one more shooter and they get a healthy Will Barton, like I just trust those five and Millsap, it looks healthy this year. Like, I don't know. I just really trust but them. But Jokic is unplayable. Uh, in the he's not unplayable, but he's kind of like uh, he's kind of yeah. like what you would go. Well, I mean, if they're playing Woody a lot, I think he's very playable. Yeah. Well, I think I think Denver doesn't even get there. Um, okay. But like, I think they'd lose to like I think James Harden would just score fifty. Like Houston's not like the Warriors. Houston would ISO, and he would they would just rip them apart. But the other thing is, I so you're not worried about Russell star. Westbrook and the Paul George <laughs> Thunder. We haven't mentioned a uh, basketball player on this podcast, so I want to make yeah, sure that I we know. gave him some respect. You know, after losing to the Sacramento Kings uh, the other night, I guess I just don't really care um, about <laughs> about the uh, about the Thunder. I, I you know, I, I here's the thing, like that. That's why for the Warriors, it's cool to have all this drama, and I think Steve Kerr, part of him, kind of likes it. Is there's no contender this year, in my opinion. I just think there's nobody that really matters. I think you've got Kawhi, which is cool, but 
like how Lowry is a problem in the playoffs. Like seriously, Pascal Siakam, OG Ananubi, like those aren't real basketball players. Like, come on, like maybe in two years. Wow. Right. And, and I say the same thing about Jalen Brown and Jason Tatum. Like, mm. listen, this is the NBA finals. This is not preseason, right? Like, it's great that you're, you're killing in the regular season, but the NBA finals is a different ball game. And I've seen LeBron James and I've seen Steph Curry, yeah. seen Kevin Durant up close, get shook. But and the Raptors can still like, do stuff. That's the thing is they have so much depth and they have so many guys that they can move on good contracts that like if they wanted to find someone else to pair with Danny Green, Pascal Siakam, and uh, Kawhi Leonard, and even Kyle Lowry to another extent, like I think they have the assets to get yeah, another they, guy to help them. So we don't even know if this is the finished product. And they're already just murdering teams, especially when Kawhi's healthy. So I guess that's my thing. It's like that's why I wanted to trade for Jimmy Butler so bad. I'm like, man, if they closed with... Yep. Siakam or Ibaka with Jimmy Butler, Kawhi on the wing, and then just Danny Green and Kyle Lowry just going full three and D. I mean, I don't know. That would uh, that would be yeah. Fun. I just I, really uh, wanted to see Jimmy Butler and Kawhi Leonard on the edge together, and just seeing what those two would do to people, and just how much that's they would another. Other, yeah, Butler's another guy I don't really like as a playoff player either, mm. and that's the thing. I I I it, I just don't trust. He's a he's a star. And I, I love why, and I think it's hilarious what he did to the Timberwolves, even though he was being an asshole about it. I, mean, I don't care personally; it doesn't affect me, so it's funny. I was gonna say, I, think um, that's like, but, I feel like that's exactly why you liked what Jimmy Butler did with the Timberwolves. <laughs> uh, yeah, I, I love that stuff, but yeah. he's not—he's he, not that good. To um, he—he—he he won't take over. He can take over a playoff game. He won't take over a playoff series. He's not that type of player, and I just—I—I I think he's guardable. I, I don't think he matters that much. Um, I think in, he in matters in certain series. Like I think he matters against the Celtics. Like I think that swings the series with them. Like that half court offense I issue that so. they had. Like he is the. Yeah. He makes sense as a solution there. Where like they're not doing Marco Bellinelli like one footer, like one foot thirty foot jumpers off his back foot. Yeah. Like that's not going to happen with Jimmy Butler now. So I think it takes a lot of the pressure off him. Bead late in games like I. I could see it swinging a series for them, especially like the Bucks or the Sixers, uh, or, or, oh, yeah. or the Celtics. Oh, yeah. I, but when I, it gets big time, like Golden State or Toronto or something like that, I don't think it uh, it's going to end up putting them over. But either way, it's going to be fun. But you heard it here first: Draymond Green and Clay Thompson are on their way to New Orleans sooner <laughs> rather than later for Anthony Davis as the Light Years organization continues making Light Years moves. So who could have? <laughs> Who could have seen this coming other than Andy Lou of Warriors World in the Light Years <laughs> podcast? Thanks for having me on, man. I really appreciate it. <laughs> Andy, we will uh, talk soon. Go, Steph. <laughs> yes, sir. Appreciate you. All right, we are back on the Chase Must podcast, and I am now joined by friend of the podcast, Austin Gale of Pro Football Focus. Austin, good evening. How are you? Doing great, man. Thanks for having me on. As always, I'm. I it's it's fun, man. We're we're finding our rhythm. This is good. We, I, you just like you're really good at just unloading a plethora of information in a very short amount of time. And you'll catch me off guard. I think I'm getting better at knowing when you're wrapping up with a lot of your information barrage, which I very much appreciate. But it's uh, it's a lot, and I just I can't get enough. Like you, like you have a computer brain with 
football. That's what I've learned. It's a, it's a, it's a blessing and a curse. There's times where I, I can definitely tell I talk a little too fast and I unload everything at the same time. But uh, I definitely enjoy kind of sometimes I'll catch myself in a, a long ramble. It's like, wow, how long have I been talking? And then just kind of go from there. But I appreciate, you know, you liking it. I mean, we're getting that rhythm for sure. Yeah. Um, you know who is not in a rhythm? Austin. The Jacksonville Who? Jaguars. <laughs> I uh, definitely not. It's it's wild. Like I think we all expected some level of regression, bringing back Blake Bortles and kind of running the same team back, and just expecting things to just be fine all over again. And that they did not find lightning in a bottle last year, and a lot of stuff went their way and everything. And Doug Marone looks like a great coach. And um, I'm like Nathaniel Hackett was getting like, oh, should he be a head coach? Um, off-season buzz and everything like that but now they're just it's just depressing and you have the Jalen Ramsey trade stuff and like he's tweeting out like they're gonna miss me when I'm gone um it turns out Leonard Fournette coming back did not save their season and that was not the lingering issue for the Jacksonville Jaguars not winning football games it was not Leonard Fournette who as I recall the biggest thing about drafting him early um, at the time was his ability to be an every down back in the NFL because his body could handle such uh, such a requirement. Um, and it turns out that's not been the case because he has not been on the field much these days. But um, uh, where do we start with this Jaguars team, Austin? I, I mean, it starts and ends with Blake Bortles and his inconsistent to just consistently bad play i mean you look at this guy from an accuracy standpoint he's completed the fewest percentage of tight window throws something that you look at the best quarterback in the league right now drew Brees. he's completing north of 70 percent of tight window throws that speaks volumes to the kids accuracy blake bortles is on the complete opposite end of the bell curve when it comes to accuracy on tight window throws and even on open throws not getting a lot of those either the receiving core is not good, simply not good. Dante Moncrief did not, surprisingly, did not save this receiving core. And for anyone that thinks that Leonard Fournette coming back was going to be able to spark something, he's never been a back that's really played too far above expectation. Mm -hmm. Forcing missed tackles has not come easy for him. Yards after contact, though, he's that big, hammering bell cow back. He has not been among the league's best in yards after contact per attempt because when he's contacted, it takes him a little bit longer to get back up to speed. You look at other guys like Melvin Gordon, Todd Gurley, Chris Carson in Seattle even. Those guys can get back up to top speed so much quicker than Leonard Fournette. He's a little bit more of a lumberer that's going to gain three, four yards maybe that he shouldn't have, but he's not going to break a big tackle and spring a long run. I think this team has too many flaws on the offensive side of the ball, and when you factor that in with a Blake Bortles that's simply not playing well, simply not accurate with the football, there's just no hope for this team in a league that is driven by throwing the ball through the air and putting points on the board they could have just traded for tyrod taylor why not they could have done a lot of things i, I think moving on from blake borders yeah blake borders blake bortles <laughs> as quickly as possible yeah. should it should have been the, you know the first and foremost thing despite going to the playoffs yeah moving on from him to get better quarterback play quarterback above expectation is so important in the, in the nfl now and, and to go in with blake bortles hoping that a good defense will stay a good defense, something that we've seen very volatile over the Mm -hmm. years. It's rare that you see the top-ranked defense beat the top-ranked defense in back-to-back years. You look at Minnesota Vikings. They've also fallen off a cliff. Jacksonville Jaguars fallen off a cliff. Now the Chicago Bears, the top defense in the NFL, they weren't that great a year ago. Obviously, the Khalil Mack trade has a huge factor with that, but it's hard to keep a good defense because so many players have to play well and continue to play you know, at high levels. But with quarterback, if you have a good quarterback, if you can find a guy that's consistent and can play at a high level, 
that's a game-changing piece that the Jags simply don't have. Yeah, because ultimately injuries are part of the game and like the whole Leonard Fournette stuff and you lose talent. And I also just thought it was bizarre of like you understand what you have in Blake Bortles. Like this is a guy in that zone where it's like you have to surround him with elite talent. Last year was an elite defense and he just he was able to thrive, good offensive line, all that kind of stuff. However, that has not been the case this year and they moved on from Allen Robinson. They moved on from Allen Hearns. They moved on from a lot of playmakers that Blake Bortles needs to to survive because he's not a like you said he's not a Drew Brees he's not going to be insanely accurate he's not going to be getting tight windows he's not going to be someone that can just he's not a game manager people like he's the exact opposite of a game manager like I don't even (laughs) a game manager is someone who's really like Alex Smith is obviously the best version of that probably um shout out to my guy it was it was a tough one he's not on my list oh my gosh to talk about but him going down absolutely brutal it, it was tough for more reasons than one. One, obviously, you know, Washington Redskins leading that division is yeah. dwindling, if not already gone. Oh, it's gone Cole now. McCoy, I'll yeah. tell you right now, is not the answer. And I think the Cowboys are hot and they can continue to be hot. And an NFC East that's not really presenting a, any high caliber teams right now. I think the Cowboys are the best team in that division right now, despite, you know, starting as slow as they did. Very lackluster creativity on the offensive side of the ball. I think they're the best team. I think their defense is incredible. Another defense that wasn't that great last year has exploding in 2018 with Leighton Van Der Esch, Byron Jones having a career year. That's an exciting team, and I think can now take over for Washington. That's the first reason it was tough. The second reason, that injury looked insane, unbelievable. Yeah. I do not see an Alex Smith being able to really recover from that. I'm not saying that he's played his last down in the NFL. I think he might be able to return, but that injury does not look easy to come back from. You saw it with Theismann. And it happened 33 years to the day that yeah. Joe Theismann had that crazy break. I think it's it's crazy how the world works. And really, you know, you have to have you know your thoughts with Alex Smith right now. Him being able to rebound would it be an incredible feat. Him being able to rebound and then get back to where he was playing before would it also, you know, even further than that. I, I think it's an insane that their season had to go like this. But tough one, tough one for you. I was thinking of you instantly as it happened. I was like, no, Alex <laughs> yeah. Smith, the regular season wins, not going to get him on the bench or on the sideline rather. It's going to be very tough for the Washington Redskins to rebound from this. Yeah. I don't see it going well, but who knows? The Sanchez is on his way to DC as well. So maybe oh, no, yeah. maybe that's what saves them. Uh, not Colt McCoy, but uh, yeah, not great. Um, but back to Bortles a little bit because like PFF was on this early where like he is like most quarterbacks obviously um, are better when there's no pressure more at 11. Uh, but uh, yeah, it turns out quarterbacks when they actually have time in the pocket are better than when they don't. Blake Bortles is like the king of this when he has a clean pocket. He's not an elite quarterback, but he's like a 92 passer rating when uh, he's just he has time to throw and do stuff. However, when he's pressured, he is a dumpster fire. And I wonder, have you seen a serious regression with the offensive line? Is that an understated part? Because I feel like that has not been something talked about enough with this Jaguars team this year. Offensive tackle play for the Jags has been really bad. Losing Andrew Norwell yeah. on the interior has not helped anything. However, it's a, you know obviously Blake Bortles playing severely poor under pressure is an issue and something that's going to bring this offense down. But him not being a top half of the league in, in a clean pocket, that's what really hurts teams. Mm-hmm. You know, we, we, over the years we speak to volatility. You know how volatile a stat is, how volatile certain you know areas of play are. Passer rating from a clean pocket, PFF grade from a clean pocket has proved to be the most stable uh, metric when comparing quarterbacks year over year. If you have a quarterback that's always ranking in that 
17 to 25 range from a, with in, with a PFF you know grade from a clean pocket or passer rating from a clean pocket. That's who that guy is. Yeah, you don't really see a Baker, guy right? go from exactly. You don't really see a guy go from 20th in clean pocket passer rating to you know second or first in clean pocket passer rating. You're really going to stay in that range where you are after two three years in the league. And Blake Bortles is not a top 20 guy from a clean pocket. And I don't think he's ever going to be because of how stable that metric is and him not being able to elevate when conditions are perfect, you know, when no one's in your face is, is really going to, you know, you know, not help this team and not really be able to make them put points on the board. And you factor in poor offensive line play, not a great wide receiving core running backs are adding too much above expectation. When you can't put points on the board, especially, especially in today's NFL, you're just not going to win games and they just haven't won games. Yeah. Um, and it's weird because they're kind of having the season that the cow, like, so the Cowboys are kind of similar in this regard where like their defense has obviously come on. They have a bunch of talent. We just talked about in the back end and with late Tom Vanderesh coming into the fold and breaking out, like they lose Sean Lee and it doesn't matter at all. Like this team would be fine without him, which is kind of crazy, but, um, they're a team that took away weapons from uh Dak going into the year and they obviously traded for Amari Cooper who he targets about 45 times a game now, which is good. A target Amari Cooper. We talked about that. He's a guy you target more. It turns out targeting elite receivers more often than not is good for your team. <laughs> but um I think that's kind of that was the blueprint for the Jaguars was the season that the Cowboys are now having where like we have this elite defense, we are comfortable there, we have stability on the offensive line or at least we think we do we have a running back that should be able to help this out like but they took away a lot of the playmakers in the edge like i uh, i mean the cowboys use a bunch of sets where they target the tight end like dak prescott loves targeting his tight ends they love getting tight ends involved um the jaguars are kind of similar in their kind of conservative approach and uh how they go about things but it's obviously paying dividends for the cowboys now that they're in the driver's seat uh for the nfc east but the Jaguars, uh, it has not gone that way. And now we're talking about Jalen Ramsey potentially getting traded. Would you trade Jalen Ramsey? Not a chance. Okay. I don't care what situation you're in for the Jags. You do not trade Jalen Ramsey. He still has two years on his contract. If you count two years after this season, if you count his fifth-year option, the guy's super young, easily one of the best cornerbacks in the NFL, if not the best when Byron Jones isn't having a career year. You have to see where he plays next season because of how volatile PFF grades are for cornerback play as well. Jalen Ramsey is not a piece you trade, just like Khalil Mack. But Khalil Mack, I trade Khalil Mack over I would trade Jalen Ramsey because of the current contract situation. The fact that those rumors surfaced is mind-boggling. They are not in a situation where they need to trade a, a franchise piece like that. They just need a QB. They need to find a quarterback. Go into this draft with the poor record you have, the high draft pick you have. Even try and trade up and get a guy that's better than Bortles or find a guy in the offseason. Maybe make a trade for Derek Carr. They're, you know, they are a team that's maybe not one quarterback away, but a good quarterback and a couple weapons away from competing in the AFC. I don't understand why you would you know, start to strip away a leader, a proven difference maker on the defensive side of the ball when your team is not in complete shambles like maybe the record shows. I don't think we can rule out Paul Pozlesny's uh, departure as the biggest reason for the Jaguars. <laughs> I do love Paul Pozlesny. Yeah. He was a big. I mean, everyone in the office was really upset when he ended up hanging up the cleats <laughs> just because of how you know how he's graded so consistently over yeah. the years and been that one of the last like hard hat linebackers right. in the NFL. Really, the guy who's first guy in, last guy out, brings his lunch pail, it's got the stickers on it, and to see him go. You know, your heart, your heart breaks a little bit. I think he's a guy that you're not going to see a lot of in, you know, in the modern NFL. The Deion Jones, 
you know, Leighton Vanderesh. I mean, Leighton Vanderesh, I guess, is a little lunch pail esque, but those coverage athletic linebackers, those guys are taking over. The Paul Pozlesnys that can't really stick with anyone in coverage, those that that linebacker breed is dying. So it sucks to see one of those guys like a great one go. Yeah, I mean, the Bengals. Can they talk him back in to uh, command retirement? Who can the Bengals get to make their linebacking core look somewhat decent? Because I mean, it's linebacker, like you said, is just a very, it's not an important, like it's the least important defensive position uh, by far, but it still can be a problem if it's as bad as it is uh, for a team like Cincinnati. But um, yeah, maybe Paul Zlesny, that's what they need. That's not Hugh Jackson. It's calling Paul Puzlesny and being like, what would it take to get you out of retirement? Come, come back, Paul. I think linebacker is increasing in value on the defensive side of the ball, actually, okay. with as much as people are using 11 personnel. You look at the Rams, mm. you use 11 personnel upwards of 90% of the time. It's becoming more and more important if you're going to put two or even three. There's some teams that still put three linebackers out in their base, in their base defense. Yeah. If you're going to put that many at the position out, especially when teams are running 11 personnel with three wide receivers and an athletic tight end, that position is going to become that much more valuable because sooner than rather than later, those guys are going to have to play in coverage, maybe even say, they man. They better be good if you're going to do exactly. that. Because that's like the exactly. exact opposite of what's happening at Ohio State where Shiano is being stubborn with the 4-3 and everything else and they're just getting destroyed because they don't have mm-hmm. the help in the back end and those linebackers are not good enough to all be on the field at the same time and he's not adjusting. And you see like Oklahoma State changing their entire defensive scheme in the second half mm-hmm. against West Virginia. They went to like a 3-2-6, I want to say. Um, but yeah, like it... It's weird. Like, defensive personnel, maybe we just still don't have the bet. Like, what is the bet? Like, I'm fascinated because I didn't expect you to go that way with the linebacker stuff. So you think they're coming back in style a little bit? Oh, absolutely. I don't think that the traditional linebacker is coming back in style, but a new breed of linebacker is going to have to surface. The Deion Jones, even Joe Schober, a super athletic, underrated coverage linebacker in Cleveland right now. You know, Leighton Vanderesh, who is one of the best in coverage today. Bobby Wagner is maybe that last guy who's really two-dimensional and can play both the run and coverage well. But it, it, you're going to start to see less and less teams put three plus, you know, or two, you know, more than two linebackers out on the field. I think, and if you do have two linebackers on the field, you have to be able to trust them in coverage because they're going to play coverage more often than not. This two-down run-stuffing linebacker that you needed 10 years ago doesn't exist. You don't need that guy anymore. You don't even need run-stuffing defensive interior linemen. I think you need coverage guys and you need pass rush guys. And I think linebacker, because of how often they're asked to play in coverage, and you need kind of those that beefy 6'1", 225 presence, 6'1", 240 presence to play the run just in case they do run it on early downs. You're going to need to find these guys that can are super athletic, freakish athletes that can also are big enough to take on blocks, shed blocks, and play the run when it is done. I think it's, it's an interesting position to see and how defensive personnel shifts when you are moving these linebacker kind of safety hybrids like you see with Mark Barron, Deion Buchanan, even I think Carl Joseph could fit in that role. I think it's going to be interesting to see how that, that position is treated because – the guys of old, you know, 6'4", 275, no, not yeah, 275, 250-pound yeah. <laughs> guys, those guys aren't going to work. Yeah, you just every linebacker is going to look like Eric Weddle in five years. <laughs> oh, absolutely. I would love that. I think the NFL would be better like that. You won't see – Bengals right now have allowed – 1,300 plus yards in coverage just as linebackers. The linebackers have allowed that much. That's the NFL, uh, leads the NFL. Yeah. They've also allowed 60 plus first downs, the most in the NFL by 10. It's insane how much, how easy it is for opposing teams to target that position when the linebackers strut out some of the worst linebackers in the NFL. I think Terrell Austin just needed a couple more weeks and he could have figured this out. I don't know. I do I'll, think, I'll though, that sarcastic. <laughs> <laughs> the talent the talent in, in, yeah. in Cincinnati, though it was kind of hyped up in the preseason with how much pressure they were getting, 
they need a lot of help there. I think yeah. specifically at that linebacker position, they need help for coverage. Safety, Jesse Bates has played well. William Jackson's having it down here, which helps no one. Yeah. But outside of William Jackson, even Darkies Denard, you know, other guys at cornerback aren't playing well. You, mm-hmm. you need to you know in, in, inject some talent into that defense. Invest in the linebacker position. You're not going to find an undrafted Vontae's perfect in this next draft. Pull the trigger on a guy like Devin White at LSU, or not Devin White, yeah, Devin White at um, LSU, and get a guy that's actually talented at the position to try and turn this defense around. So if you're the Jags, because I always think about timelines, especially in basketball, like you want your best players to be around the same age. You want to have consistency on that front. You don't want, um, like, you don't want that to get a little weird. You want people to be around the same age so that there's continuity and that you're moving in the right direction at the right time and you add the right veteran pieces around the young guys and all that kind of stuff. But the Jaguars, I wonder if they, I mean, they should decide. They, they, they should already be there. Blake Bortles has got to be gone after this year. And if you go down that road and you draft a rookie quarterback, this is the worst possible year uh, of like the last seven, at least, to need a quarterback. Like this yeah. quarterback class is not good. So I feel bad because no, the not. Jags, like you really have to think about this. If you're Jacksonville, you're like, oh, no. So we have to move on from Blake Bortles, but there's no good options coming to this draft. So what do we do? Because we have this win-now defense, and we spent a lot of money. We invested in Clayus Campbell. We invested in uh, who's uh, Malik Jackson and other guys like that, and now we're in trouble, like A.J. Bouye and everything else. Like I wonder if... I mean, Tom Coughlin and Dave Caldwell are going to have some big decisions to make this offseason, and I wonder if they kind of do what Arizona did and basically like do a complete overhaul no talent at all like just completely move <laughs> on from everybody that mattered except for your star cornerback because i think like patrick peterson is the only guy um still grading well for arizona these days so mm-hmm. i wonder if that's what happens to jalen ramsey where he's like will smith at the end of fresh prince where he's looking around and it's just him because they move on from campbell bouye and everybody else and it's just him for the next couple of years and he just gets frustrated because he's just by himself i mean richard sermon also, another guy on a terrible defense where he's just by himself with no hope, no quarterback. He's having to deal with Nick Mullins, but he's still having a good year by himself. But, um, yeah, I just I wonder if that's where they go, and maybe that's when they bring in Tyrod to be a stopgap year and just do one year with Tyrod, but also, like, get younger and shed a bunch of salary because they're like, their contention window is gone. I mean, the Colts are coming. The Colts are, I mean... They're moving in the right direction. They're going to get more talent on defense. Like, that's going to happen. They still have Malik Hooker. They're going to get better. They've solved their offensive line issue that has plagued them for years and years. Uh, Andrew Luck is moving in the right direction. Like, there's talent there, and they're moving in the right direction. I believe in the Ballard-Wright combo. And then the Titans, uh, just too much talent to really see them fall off, even though I'm not really a Marcus Mariota believer. And then the Texans, they may never lose again. So if you're Jacksonville, you're looking at the AFC South, and you're like, we may have missed our window, but we have all this money and we still have a lot of pieces we like. And what do we do here? Uh, I just think they're in for an interesting, but also very painful next couple of years. This off season, first and foremost, whatever quarterback you like in this class, it's not a great class. Like you noted, if you like Justin Herbert, he's probably going to go in the first round, high first round, top 20 picks at least. But he's not he's coming the out only... probably, right? Cause his brother yeah. is coming to Oregon. So he wants to, yeah, his brother. It's, if he doesn't, if he doesn't, I think, you know, it's hard to see. Cause you look back in years past, he's, I think the consensus number one, I, I mean, PFF has him as the only quarterback with a first round grade. I think if you, you, you think about that and how this class is his for the taking almost, it could sway him to come out this year and be that number one QB. And if he is, there's going to be, you know, you know, there's going to be suitors for him that want him, maybe can, could push him into the top 10 because he's going to be that best guy coming out. If he does come out, 
or and the Jags like him, I think they go after him. It, whatever quarterback you like coming out in this class and where you think you can get him, go get him because getting a youthful quarterback like the Cardinals did with Josh Rosen is the first start. And then if you do think you do need a stopgap guy like the Cardinals tried to do with Sam Bradford that obviously failed, go after a guy like Derek Carr perhaps. Tyrod Taylor I think is another guy that could be on the block. Look at those guys as a stopgap if you don't end up spending high draft capital on a QB. Then after that, inject this roster with youth. Because like you said, Malik Collins uh, – not Malik. Yeah, Malik Collins um, – no, Malik Jackson. Malik Collins is a defense tackle in Dallas. Malik Jackson, Clayus Campbell, those guys are getting old. A.J. Bouye, inject this roster with youth in the draft. Find young guys that you can fill in and, and load, the, you know, load this roster with a little bit more youth and more talent and try and get better – on both sides of the ball through the draft because your window, like you said, is is going away. Don't spend a bunch of money in free agency. Bring some talented youth into this team and get your QB that you think you like because it's going to take a couple hits. Not a lot of teams when they draft their QB find their guy initially. They're gonna it's going to take a few drafts most of the time. And I think get the quarterback you like in this draft. If he pans out, obviously that's fantastic. If not, continue to try and find that QB because that's what you need to do in the NFL if you're going to win. Or just trade for Derek Carr. Yeah, I mean, Derek Carr, in a new situation, you could see him have success. I think if you do bring Derek Carr into Jacksonville, you better, you're going to have to turn into a little bit of a win now. If, yeah. you, if you believe in Derek Carr because of the contract he'd likely bring over, you're going to have to try and find ways to get offensive weaponry for him. You're going to have to find ways to improve on Dante Moncrief and whoever they're strutting at at tight really end don't these like days. Dante Moncrief. No, not at all. I think he was brought in and overpaid as uh-huh. this guy that could be a number one wide receiver and really isn't a game changer. Yeah, we compare. Like I, I think he's like one of my guys. Like if he, if I had a trio of receivers, like I could just see him being really good on the Pats or the Steelers. Oh, or anything else. what like receiver isn't good on the Pats? You That's put him on true. a, you put him on a team with Drew Brees, Aaron Rodgers, or Tom Brady. I mean, he's going to play a lot better. Yeah. Those quarterbacks elevate the play of other receivers. But Dante Moncrief. He's not elevating the play of anyone. I mean, he's going to play just as good as the quarterback that's throwing the ball at this point. He doesn't get as open as much as those other guys, top 20, top 30 guys. But you need to get a true number one over there in Jacksonville if you're going to turn into win now. If you don't you know, go against bringing in a veteran that you want to try and win with today or in the next two years, draft youth, try and get talented receivers through the draft, try and you know, um, develop DJ Chark into something special because that, I mean, it's one of two routes right now. If you think you can win now, go get a QB you like because Blake Bortles isn't it. If you don't think that window's close, go draft a QB yeah. and start to develop him and maybe draft another in the next year too. Yeah. I don't know. I think it's going to be interesting and people need to brace themselves for a very insane Jacksonville teardown this offseason. Um, Josh Allen, our favorite quarterback is coming back this week. So no more Matt Barkley, no more Nathan Peterman, no more just awful, unwatchable Bills games, or sometimes good Bills games because Matt Barkley um, just came out of nowhere and beat the Jets and uh, probably resulted in the firing of Todd Bowles at the end of the year. But um, this is an interesting time because if you look at the Bills schedule, they have the easiest schedule of any uh, NFL team down the stretch. That's good news for a guy who has a banged up elbow and a guy who takes as much hits and does as much weird stuff as Josh Allen does. And because he has no talent around him offensively outside of LeSean McCoy, who's obviously had a down year. But um, what do you what are you looking for down the stretch from Josh Allen? Like, what uh, do you want to see from him um, if he can stay on the field with uh, this kind of schedule in front of him and what uh, he has to work on and what Brian Dabble has to dial up for him to keep his job as OC heading into next year? decision-making and accuracy needs to improve under pressure. He's under pressure a ton behind a Bills offensive line that flat-out stinks. 
But when he is under pressure, he needs to improve his play. He doesn't need to win, you know, every game on the one play. You know, there's times where you see him overthink things, try and make the big play while, you know, running out of bounds or under pressure, under duress. He doesn't need to do that. Make good decisions with the football, win under pressure, avoid turnover-worthy plays when you're under duress. And that would be a huge step for a guy that's currently the last-ranked, you know, in terms of PFF grades, quarterback in the NFL right now. He has not – he's played the worst – from a grade standpoint, and, and he's among rookies. Sam Darnold and Josh Rosen are also in that bottom three, but he's played among the worst, and it's largely because of that decision-making under pressure. He you know, he show off the arm. You know, Even if Kelvin Benjamin drops every pass you throw him, make accurate throws, make good decisions, and I think that would be huge steps in the right direction. I don't think he should go into these last stretch just because they're easy games and try and win out and, and force things and, and really not – get the reps he needs. He needs to be cleaner with his decision-making, make accurate throws, and that would be you know, really helpful for the Bills and really helpful for the Bills' future. You know it would be nice for Buffalo and uh, Brandon Bean up there in uh, northern uh, New York? Getting Dante in some playmakers. No, not Dante Moncrief. <laughs> I don't think the answer to any question in the NFL is Dante Moncrief. Um, just getting him some help. It turns out when you give someone like Josh Allen a lot of help, uh, it works out because I think Cam Newton is enjoying uh, having McCaffrey and a bunch of other guys and DJ Moore and actually uh, not making him make do with, uh, Do- was it Dominique Bird who came off the practice squad last year? Oh, Damier Bird. Yeah. Yes. And then like uh, Devin Funches masquerading as the number one receiver and Kelvin Benjamin, who you're not going to believe this, did not work out in Buffalo this year. Um, <laughs> that was that was a shocker that that was not the answer for uh, the Buffalo receiving core. Um, but Zay Jones, is he going to? Uh, end up grading out better than he did last year, which I believe was the worst in the NFL. Uh, Kelvin Benjamin? Oh, no, Zay Jones. Oh, Zay, uh, I think he might. I think he might grade better than the worst wide receiver in the NFL. Nice progress. <laughs> but I don't think he's the answer. I don't think Kelvin Benjamin the answer. I don't think they have a receiver in Buffalo that's you know a potential franchise piece <laughs> down the road. Rod Streeter, Andre Holmes, the list does not get Dude. better. And I think you hit the nail on the head in terms of getting Josh Allen some weapons in the offseason. You could spend you need to spend almost every pick on a wide receiver, tight yeah. end, and and running back, I think. I think Sean McCoy the offense. Their defense yes. is set. Like that defense is legit. Jerry Hughes is outstanding. He gets overlooked because the Buffalo Bills lose every game or mm-hmm. they win an off one with Matt Barkley. Jerry Hughes is outstanding. The you know, Tredavious White is another guy that gets overlooked all the time because he's playing on a bad Bills team, but he's one of the better cornerbacks in the NFL right now. Safety, they have some talent, but on the offensive side of the ball, there's not a single area position group where you'd say, oh, that's a strength. Not even quarterback right now, not even running back. And I think LaShawn McCoy, because he's still kind of a big name, gets a pass sometimes, but he's not good anymore. He's not playing above expectations. He forces missed tackles, one of the fewest, in terms of efficiency standpoint, some of the fewest times in the NFL among running backs, he's not gaining yards after contact. Get that guy out of there. He's not the back he once was. I know he still holds the ball with one hand, but that's not cute enough to get him (laughs) above playing expectations. They need a back like Christian McCaffrey. If you want to look at the Carolina Panthers as a team to to build your Carolina North. I mean, they brought in, even isn't Dan Morgan, a former Panthers great in that front office? I'm (laughs) that's true i think you're right yeah they're creating panthers north which i mean get a running back that can catch out of the backfield get wide receivers that can make big plays after the catch right now dj moore in carolina is getting more yards after the catch per reception than any other wide receiver in the nfl that helps your quarterback when he throws high about three out of five times like cam newton does i think with josh allen who has struggled with accuracy both at wyoming and early in his nfl career get you a wide receiver that can make plays after the catch that'll make the box score look better that'll push drives down the field they need to inject this offense with young talent and capable talent of playing above expectation that starts at running back wide receiver and you can even get to tight end yeah they have a lot of work to do 
but uh, it'll, it'll be interesting to see what happens in Buffalo. But uh, I'm just glad that Josh Allen's going to be on my Twitter feed again because I know he's going to do some really insane shit that uh, <laughs> I'm going to very much enjoy. Um, the Steelers, are they rounding into form? There was a good piece on Pro Football Focus this week. I think it was Ben Lindsay who wrote this, um, basically outlining how bad Ben Roethlisberger was in the first three quarters of this past Sunday and how he much he struggled the first half of the season. And he's rounding into form and he's grading out like above 90% and he is someone that is a late bloomer at this stage of his career but he when he's playing at the level he is playing at now and what he played in the fourth quarter in that comeback um the Steelers are legit and it does seem like if you it's just kind of crazy that we're here because like the Ryan Shazier injury like it just felt like this defense was never going to be able to get to where it needed to be to really win um, the AFC without somebody like Shazier, who was just so critical to everything they did there. And now it looks like, I mean, the Pats are obviously not complete. You look at the Chiefs defense, we know what that is. But like, is there a case to be made that the Steelers are rounding into the most well-rounded uh, AFC contender at the moment? Well-rounded, I think there's there's very you know very good chance that they are the team given how bad that Chiefs secondary is. But I'll say this: well-rounded is overrated. If you have a yeah. quarterback like Patrick Mahomes and your offense is putting up 50 points, you know, week in and week out, it doesn't matter how bad your secondary is because you can go toe to toe with anybody in the NFL. I think well-rounded used to be good when people were more balanced, ran 50-50 in terms of pass first run, and you needed a stout defense to win in December. That old NFL, that's not a thing anymore. I think you need to put as much resource into getting on the on the offensive side of the ball to throw the ball through the air and put points on the board. Defense can come later. And I think with Pittsburgh, that's where you have to look at Big Ben. He's had a roller coaster season. He had a roller coaster game against Jacksonville. But when he's high, when he's just before that downfall on the roller coaster, this team could beat anyone. And yeah. I think you saw that in the fourth quarter. But when he's low, it's very hard for him to elevate the play of standout guys like Antonio Brown and Juju Smith-Schuster. If he's at his high, the Steelers team can go toe-to-toe with the Chiefs and make a Super Bowl run. But just given how he's played all season long, you can't bank on this guy being a four-quarter through-the-playoffs guy that is going to be on his high horse. He needs to play well down the stretch for us to have any confidence in him as a guy that can go deep into the playoffs. So would you, what would you put the percentages of the AFC contenders right now of making the Super Bowl? If you had to guess right now, how would you, like, chances of this team making it, chances of this one? Because um, I think there's only four or five, but I'm still reeling for my Los Angeles Chargers falling to the Denver Broncos in the way they did. But um, whoa, how would you rank them? I know, I know our math guys have this kind of exact, but anecdotally, I'd say the Chiefs have the highest percentage. I'd say in terms of, you're saying, making the playoffs or going to the Super, Super Bowl? Bowl. I say Chiefs are up upwards of 60, 70 percent. I think they have to have that majority favorite. After that, I think the Steelers do fall number two. I think Steelers are second in line in the AFC to go Mm -hmm. just because when good, good big Ben shows up, the Steelers are the second best team in the AFC. After that, you have a lot of other teams that not not, haven't really had roller coaster quarterback play, but roller coaster team play Deshaun Watson and the Houston Texans, though they're on this long winning streak. No, I don't know how long that's going to last. How is he handling this? (laughs) They still have one of the worst offensive lines in the NFL, if not the worst offensive line in the NFL. And Deshaun Watson is still finding ways to get DeAndre Hopkins the ball. It's incredible. I don't see how that win percentage is sustainable. But if they continue to do it, they continue to do it. And then you look at the Colts, a team that we talked about last week. That is a team to be scared of. I'm telling you, in the playoffs, that offensive line is outstanding. Yeah. Andrew Luck is returning the form. Defense yeah, isn't great, defense but like I said, defense is overrated. Is yeah, <laughs> exactly. Defense is overrated. If the Colts 
start to continue to hit their stride like they have, I, I just don't see them being a team you can count out against the Patriots, even in Foxborough, against the Steelers, especially with roller coaster Big Ben. After the Chiefs, it, it's really anyone's game that's going to end up making this, you know, making this playoff run. I think you look at the Titans; they think they, I think uh, they still have a chance. Off. Mariota's not running for the <laughs> AFC. It's just not happening. But, I want to believe because they do have a lot of interesting pieces, and I love Deion Lewis. But like, it's just it's not going to happen with Mariota. He's not going to be able to just. I don't see him beating Big Ben, Brady, um, Patrick Mahomes, Philip Rivers, all those guys in the playoffs. I just don't see it. That's true. Uh, I'll give you that. Maybe, do they? Maybe they squeeze into the playoffs, possibly. That but I don't suck. see them going. No, on. we have to do the yeah. thing with like the Bills last year, where like we should have just said, "Hey, congratulations on the playoffs," but the Chargers are streaking at the right time, and yes. they could like. I like the Chargers a lot too. Yeah. Even with the loss to Denver, I think this is a team that can win in the playoffs because Philip Rivers is having a career year. No, and they're going to do something possi- stupid special teams wise. There's going to be oh, a kick that's going to ruin. I this. really hope not. I, it, it's inevitable, man. It, they can look at the Chargers' weapons: Melvin Gordon, Austin Akin. Keller, Keenan Allen, Mike Williams is finally starting to look yeah. good. Tyrell Williams looks good. Oh, you don't have to can you imagine if Hunter Henry didn't get hurt? Yeah. This team would be unbelievable. I think the Chargers can go toe-toe with anyone. Bosa's I think coming the Chargers, back. Yeah, Bosa's coming back. I think this is a team, again, that if you put them against the Patriots in years past, I say it's a guaranteed loss. This year, I think they can beat the pass. I think they can beat the Steelers. And I think if they get into the playoffs, like I said, outside of the Chiefs, I think they're a favorite to get to the AFC Championship. Anyone's game. Yeah. Last thing, and then we'll go. Um, Lamar Jackson ran the ball 27 times. And let me just say, some of the response to Lamar Jackson this week, um, I question why people watch sports sometimes. Because Lamar Jackson running around and finding ways to navigate traffic uh, for Baltimore on Sunday was a lot of fun to watch. And I don't really understand the thought process of someone who's like, well, like immediately after a game like Lamar Jackson being like, well, that won't keep up great man like that's great we know that a quarterback cannot run the ball 27 times with the frame of Lamar Jackson at the NFL level we all understand that but at the same time that was really fun to see that because it's cool to see quarterbacks <laughs> do different stuff you want to see fun things like when Robert Griffin the third before he got injured was doing what he was able to do that rookie year in Washington we were all mesmerized by it because it was insane we knew that it probably wasn't going to keep up like we knew he was brittle and he was probably going to he didn't know how to slide and he was going to take some bad hits and it wasn't going to last that's great however every moment that he's on the field and healthy and just the star power is just insane is fun. And guess what? He's not Joe Flacco, which is great in of itself. Like not watching Joe Flacco lead this Ravens offense for a week. Superb. I am here for the rest of this. I don't care if he turns out to be Jeff Blake. I don't care if he can be Anthony Wright, whatever. Lamar Jackson is a lot of fun and injected some level of optimism that I'd lost with this Baltimore team because of how they fared the last month and a half. Like, you know what? It's fun. And the immediate reaction from some people would be just being like, oh, that's not like that won't keep up. Like, do you just hate fun? Like, who responds <laughs> to Lamar Jackson doing crazy stuff with that? I, I don't understand it at all. And I will ride for my guy Lamar Jackson till the end of times. That's what I'm saying. I think that entire narrative with Lamar Jackson, how fun that game was and how fun that brand of football is. You could have replaced Lamar Jackson's name with Tim Tebow and it would have fit to a T. Mm. Everyone knew it wasn't sustainable. Everyone knew it wasn't going to last in this league, but was it fun to watch? Did it put everyone's eyes glued to the TV? Absolutely. Could this guy come in and maybe squeak out a playoff win? 
Absolutely. However, I think I do agree. I'm not going to make it a knee-jerk reaction that that's not sustainable. We need to move away from Lamar Jackson, blah, blah, blah. But I do agree that in the grand scheme, if Lamar Jackson is the future of this Baltimore Ravens team, 27 times a game running the ball like Georgia Tech is not sustainable in the NFL. Is it fun? Yes. And will it it be fun down the stretch? Absolutely. Am I rooting for it secretly? Absolutely. However, I do agree – with that overall consensus that it's not a sustainable offense just because where this game is now. I, I don't think you can run the ball like that anymore. And But with Lamar Jackson, if you, you get some confidence like he did against Cincinnati, maybe he throws a little bit more well, you know, in this next to. game. Like, that was something he, he made a note of. He's like, I want to throw more. I want to do that. And we know he could throw. We watched it in college. Like He's he's not as bad at like the Tebow stuff. Like He's not like Tebow passing the ball. He's a lot better yeah. than that. Can you imagine the criticism he receives if they lose that game? Yeah, he runs twenty-seven times a game. There are people calling him a bust already. Well, Jim I'm telling you that right now, people are eager yeah. to call call Lamar Jackson a bust. If he loses that game, the bust label is uh, thrown left and right. He yeah. won, and he saves himself from some of those criticisms. But he's going to need to throw the ball accurately mm-hmm. to be considered a guy that you can lean on for the future. And I want to see it, but like that's my thing is like I feel like people are already rooting for him to fail because it's not the traditional approach, which I just I don't understand. I just don't get it. Yeah, I'll never understand anyone that's rooting for someone to fail. Yeah. I'm definitely not rooting for Lamar Jackson to fail. Am I rooting for him to throw the ball more and throw it well? Absolutely, because that's the only way he's going to survive in this league. That's the only way he's going to succeed. Do I want to see him run 30 times a game and win? Absolutely, because that's football you just don't get to see anymore. Right. <laughs> Variety is good. To, you know, <laughs> Diversity is fun. Yes. And, you know, not diversity in the fact that they punt, you know, each team punts 10 times and it ends 3 0. Yeah. But diversity when he's running and no bringing up long gains, forcing no more his tackles. That's, a- that's what we should do. No more punting. Just Lamar Jackson gets four downs every time. That's how the I Ravens season goes. <laughs> and I, I, you know, with the Ravens, while we're on that, you know, that team, Gus Edwards getting more snaps down the stretch over Alex Collins couldn't be better for this team. He is playing way more well above expectation mm-hmm. compared to Alex Collins. He forces more missed tackles. He gains more yards after contact. I think that little duo is going to be exciting to see down the stretch. And the Ravens aren't out of this playoff no, race. I think sure. they can go and get this one. So I'm excited to see how how Lamar Jackson treats that pressure and plays moving forward. Can you imagine just how much the Pats would be sweating Lamar Jackson coming into Foxborough in round oh, one? Oh, my. Any team, though, if he can make it to the playoffs and you have to play that brand of football in the playoffs when your defense doesn't have those big guys anymore, doesn't have those run defenders anymore, I'm not saying they're going to go all the way, but it would be scary. It's something you're sweating just like you sweat when you play Navy or Army or Georgia Tech because your your team has not played against a team like that. I'm not saying they're running the wing tee, but pretty damn close. They're running a pistol. (laughs) Like They're doing some odd stuff. Like You're talking about with Edwards being behind him, and they were running some fullback stuff, like a lot of RPOs, obviously. But um, yeah. It, it will look like a college offense for sure. Yeah, I, can't, I couldn't agree but more. But that's better than Joe Flacco and what they were doing beforehand. That's the point. Oh, is, no question. Just, yeah, like that's Anyone who wants that Baltimore Ravens team, even if they're winning games over Lamar Jackson winning games, is absurd. I, I don't understand. That, that football team is not fun. Exactly. Yeah, fun. That's the whole point of sports. Sports is supposed to be entertaining, and Lamar Jackson is 100% entertaining all the time. Joe Flacco is the inverse of that thing. So (laughs) I am very much here for Lamar Jackson becoming a thing in Baltimore. But anyway, Austin, this has been great as always, sir. We can find you on profootballfocus.com where you are the NFL editor. Is there anything like I read everything on profootballfocus every day, but is there anything in particular that you wanted to highlight before we get out of here today? Uh, just dropped a piece earlier today about how regression is coming for TJ Watt because of how crazy his sack conversion rate is right now. He's converting sacks 
30, on 30.3% of his pressures, an astronomical rate compared to the NFL average, compared Uh-oh. to the NFL Vic norm. Vic Beasley 2.0? Exactly. Vic Beasley 2.0. You look at Vic Beasley in his sophomore campaign, TJ Watt is also a second-year player in the NFL, had 16 sacks and converted 27.6% of his pressures into sacks. TJ Watt has 10 right now, and he's converting over 30%. That is bound to come down, especially when his win rate and his pressure rate rank outside the top 25. The TJ Watt that you hope he is right now is simply not it. I think if you look, if you go into next year and you continue to lean on him as this guy who's going to be a double-digit sack guy moving forward, I don't think that's coming until he racks up more pressures and wins more one-on-one blocks. Oh, man. Well, go read that and uh, go sell that TJ Watt stock right now. Buy all the Lamar Jackson stock and uh, you'll be all set going forward. Uh, Austin, it's always a pleasure. I really do appreciate you taking the time and uh, have a good Thanksgiving, man. Thank you. Have a good one too. All right, man. And that'll do it for today's episode of the Chase Thomas Podcast. I just want to remind you guys, if you like today's episode and you are subscribed on Apple Podcasts or iTunes, I would really appreciate if you could take a second, leave the show a five-star rating and a review. If uh, you're not an Apple podcast listener, remember you can find the show on Spotify, TuneIn Radio, SoundCloud, Stitcher, uh, Google Play, or wherever else you get your podcasts. Uh, Be sure to check out ChaseThomasPodcast.com where you can access all of my previous episodes and also find all my writing. I'm writing there fairly often. And also follow me on Twitter at Chase underscore Thomas and like the Facebook page at Facebook.com slash Chase Thomas Writer. Uh, thank you for your support and we'll be back with another episode very soon. Thanks guys.